Hello and welcome to Reformed Podmatics, a weekly podcast hosted by Pastor Mark Van Dyke and Pastor Zach Dewey of Almond Valley Christian Reformed Church in Ripon, California. This podcast exists to promote the vibrant, biblical, and historically informed face of Reformed theology, both in our context and beyond. Welcome back to Reformed Podmatics. I am Pastor Zach. I'm Pastor Mark. And today we are going to be jumping into a topic that we have uh, addressed in the past, actually back way, way, way back in episode 12. Uh, we looked at the topic of infant baptism, which to this day, uh, as you uh, might expect, or maybe it would surprise you, uh, that's actually been one of our most listened to episodes in the history of Reformed Podmatics. Uh, with a little over 600 downloads, which uh, is substantially more than an average episode, at least in, in those days, especially. That's big time for us. <laughs> yeah. 600 is a lot yeah. for us. So <laughs> now you guys can sort of, sort of see behind the curtain, as it were. We're not getting millions of, no. of listens or th- even thousands of listens, uh, but we have a small community, and we're okay with that. Uh, <laughs> but we're going to be picking up on this idea of baptism and addressing it from some different angles. We're not going to be so much getting into the issue of infant baptism, though I think it will inevitably come up here and there. Uh, But we want to talk about it just a little bit more broadly. Um, And then we also want to address it from the angle of how do we even talk with Christians who see baptism differently than us, whether they are Lutheran or Catholic or maybe even Baptist or uh, of some other sort of uh, Anabaptist strain. And so, yeah, we want to think through this in a deeply biblical way, and we want to listen, to, of course, listen, of course, to our creeds and confessions as we do this. But uh, we hope it's a help in in helping those of you who maybe have struggled with talking about baptism uh, with a Christian friend who maybe sees things a little bit differently than you. Yeah, it, this uh, matter of how we talk about it can be very stressful. I know for people, um, especially. American culture, the default position uh, because of the growth of uh, the Baptist Church, the evangelical movement, um, yeah. seeker churches, non-denominational churches in the last 20 plus years, um, really, really has made credo-baptism the default position of um, American Christians, most American Christians, I would probably yeah, say. Yeah, I think so. Um, and uh, by credo-baptism, we mean uh, believer-baptism. That's uh, credo, meaning belief or creed. Um, this is the idea that you should have, you should demonstrate faith in Jesus before you would be baptized. We hold to what is called the pedo-baptist view, that pedo, meaning children, uh, can, and the Heidelberg Catechism says, even ought to be baptized. Mm-hmm. And so um, how do we talk about these things with people who don't quite understand our beliefs. Um, I think that's a lot of what we'll get into in this episode is um, we've got to often do the work of unpacking what people think we believe concerning mm-hmm. pedo-baptism. And, um, and so, just as Zach said, this is going to be a little bit less on the, the biblical, theological side of starting, sort of front-loading the episode with, with all kinds of proofs and scriptures <laughs> and theological backing for Pedo-baptism, which there is, that's what we gave in that episode 12, um, but yeah. we want to talk, I think, a little bit more in practical terms. How do we live in in a culture 
even a Christian culture that doesn't really understand what we believe, what's what's happening during a baptism. Um, how can we do have these conversations with grace, um, not be kind of cagey Calvinists, <laughs> um, uh, but also you know stand up for what we believe the Bible teaches concerning the sacrament? Yeah, so there's a lot of angles I think that we could use to to go or sort of different paths we could we could go down in order to have this conversation. But one that comes to mind for me um, when I'm talking to someone about baptism, um, I, I think that one of the main differences, as and I speak as someone who kind of grew up in a Baptist world, I wouldn't say I was very ideologically Baptist. Uh, but that was sort of the default view in the world I grew up in and the community I grew up in. Um, one of the major differences between the Reformed view that I hold now and the view that I would have sort of instinctively held then uh, is that baptism is a very much a corporate uh, sacrament. It's very much a, a corporate rite. Um, I think I used to see baptism very individualistically, uh, and it was therefore something that was really up to the individual to decide for themselves when it happens. It was a it was voluntaristic in the sense that when you feel it's right and you feel that you're ready and your faith has gotten to the point where it should be, uh, then you should uh, get baptism. There should be nothing uh, stopping you. There should be no obstacles in your way, and so it really came down to uh, sort of an individualism. Uh, and therefore, baptism was seen, and this is the way I think it is seen by most American evangelicals, it is seen as a, an expression, an outward expression of an inward reality. And so when that inward reality has happened, when you have faith in Jesus, then you should be baptized. Uh, and so baptism is nothing really more than uh, a self-declaration uh, of what has happened to you. Uh, or what you have decided to do. I've often seen t-shirts of, of churches where they'll have sort of a uh, mass baptismal event where many people are being baptized and they'll wear t-shirts that say, I've decided to follow Jesus. Uh, I've seen that sort of thing. And so it's sort of a declaration that something, I, I've, I've, I've decided something, I've changed my opinion, I'm following Jesus, I'm no longer living in my sin. And so this baptism symbolizes that, whereas in the Reformed view, uh, it's it's not so much an individualistic thing. Baptism is, the emphasis uh, is really on entering into the covenant community. It's becoming a part of the body of Christ. It's entrance into the bride of Christ. Uh, and so you're, you're now entering into this whole community, and uh, like with becoming a human, you don't choose that for yourself. You enter into the human community, uh, not of your own volition, but of the volition of your parents. And so you, you become, you participate in what it means to be human, uh, not because you chose to be human and you named yourself and you decided, but because God chose you uh, and your and your parents uh, uh, made love with one another and they, they gave birth to you. They conceived you. And that is actually... Uh, all part and parcel of of birth as a mm. human being, and so it's very similar in the reformed view for for baptism. It's much more corporate and less individual. That would be one mm -hmm. angle I think to go down. 
uh, in a conversation with someone who struggles to to perceive why we believe what we believe. Yeah, it has a lot to do with sacramental theology. And so I think communion is often seen that way in uh, more broadly evangelical churches too. And and maybe even in our church where uh, people would see communion as this thing that's between me and God. Yeah. And it's my decision to remember the sacrifice of Jesus for my salvation today. And so it's it's an expression of one's personal faith. As Reformed people, we we believe it is that and so much more. Yes. Um, And so uh, we we believe that there is an objective uh, spiritual blessing being being given to uh, the person who is is participating in the sacrament, um, whether that's baptism or communion. Hmm. And so... um, this gets actually a little bit to our last episode. If uh, people did listen to that, I commented a lot about how in my travels and experiences in different churches, there were some churches that emphasized almost entirely the objective truths of the faith. So mm-hmm. churches where um, you're going to hear the Apostles' Creed and the Lord's Prayer and a sermon that is uh, about God and about doctrine, mm-hmm. um, and the liturgy is very clearly set in a certain way that um, uh, the priests regard as um, objectively good, and mm-hmm. uh, whether or not you experience it or, or as that or understand it to be yeah. um, what's going on, yeah, that's a little bit less of a value than just this is what we have to do because this it's is... worship. Yeah, this yeah. is worship to God, and, and yeah. it's objectively got to be that way. Um, and so hmm. um, I, I said that my experience in those churches was that I was hungering for a little bit more of that subjective personal connection to uh particularly the sermon i was just waiting for the the pastor to give some application to say um and and now you shall live this way now you should believe this and uh repent of your sin be baptized and Mm -hmm. uh repent and believe the good news um those things uh were, were not quite there in those more objectively focused congregations and went to other evangelical churches as well where almost all of the emphasis was on how are you doing? How, mm. how are, are you with God? Are you right with God? Are you um, following Jesus? Are you doing the right thing? Are you living in the right way? Um, and in those churches, you would never hear uh, the Nicene Creed or be led in the recitation of the Lord's Prayer as a congregation. So there's yeah. heavy on the subjective personal and very little on the objective. And I think that that relates to this conversation and how people understand baptism, just like what yeah. Zach has said, where... Um, if, if the, uh, understanding of baptism is almost entirely subjective, people will have a very difficult time Mm -hmm. understanding why we would baptize a baby who doesn't understand what's happening, uh, to the baby during the baptismal, um, uh, sort of the administration of, of the sacrament. So, uh, so I, I think it's, it's helpful to for us to recognize going into a conversation that what we believe is is happening is probably very different than uh than what that uh that uh, that other person evangelical charismatic um not sort of non-denominational person thinks is happening this isn't to say that they're not christians i want to be really clear about that in this episode that um when herman bovink is writing about baptism the final comment that he gives is we believe in one lord one faith, one baptism with all Christian churches, and that is a mm. baptism that is uh, 
uh, is about the washing away of sin. <laughs> and uh, it's a baptism that is in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And, uh, yeah. and so how th- that teases out in various theological streams is different, but um, we certainly want to be clear in this episode. We're not drawing lines here between paedo-baptist Christians and credo-baptist mm-hmm less christian you know um, yeah, this, yeah these are these are debatable matters certainly um in terms of uh the holy catholic church yeah and these are conversations i mean we're, we're pitching this episode to, to those of you who are engaged in conversations like this with others um i can remember a few months ago talking with a close friend of mine who's a youth director at a uh, anabaptist church um here in town He's a good friend of mine. We do ministry together for a ministry here in town called Thursday Lunch. Um, and we were engaged. And he was mostly just asking me, why do we baptize babies? Mm-hmm. And so I was having to think through a lot of the questions we're discussing here on this episode, uh, just trying to make it make sense. I wasn't so much trying to convince him as I was trying to uh, sort of trying to project or show him to express the shape and contour of Reformed thinking and how it differentiates itself from a more Anabaptist approach, uh, and so there's a there's a lot of things to to go down. Um, yeah. But but one one major thing for me was just talking about how we see spiritual development and how that differentiates uh, or is different from uh, an Anabaptist sort of point point of view. Um, I think we've often heard people talk about vipers and diapers. Children are born, and they're born sinful. We can't even consider them a part of the church because clearly they're not following Jesus. And so when they're seven or eight or maybe 13 or 14, they can really begin to make a decision for themselves. And so Baptists and Anabaptists will uh, sort of preach and teach and disciple young people to, with the telos being baptism, with the goal being to get to the, to the point where this child is baptized. Uh, and so th- it's very evangelistic all the way through, whereas that's similar in some ways to the Reformed uh, view, uh, but we, we baptize them as children and we see them as part of the covenant community. And so uh, we ra- raise them up and teach them, but we the way that this affects the the path of spiritual formation is very different. Mm. Uh, it's it's a slower, easier, steady as you go sort of process in the reformed world, where it's a day by day raising your children to know the Lord, teaching them the scriptures and what He requires, but also teaching them about Jesus and what He has done for us. And so, the the reformed way of looking at child formation spiritually is to teach the catechism as young as, young as you can, uh, or uh, the creed, just basic Christian truths all the way through, with the hopes of leading them to a place of uh, what some will call confirmation or a profession of faith, where they uh, will volitionally lay claim to the promises given them in their baptism and in the gospel. Uh, and so there, there is a time where a young person who has been baptized as an infant needs to receive those promises and make them their own. And so we still see at some point down the road that it needs to be where, where a child will confirm their faith. Um, and so we share that sentiment in some ways, but 
at the same time, uh, the way we just raise children is differently. We're not looking for a massive point of conversion where they have a mountaintop experience and get very emotional. We are, it's a slow, uh, sort of, uh, plodding along day by day to raise this child in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And I think that the way this affects a whole church culture, mm-hmm. um, it, it makes the church, the church is invited to be a part of this formation process. This formation isn't something that only happens in the home with the family. It happens in the church. This is why in the Reformed tradition, it's quite common. And it's probably not only the Reformed tradition. There probably are Baptists that do something similar. Uh, but during a baptism here at our church, for example, there will be uh, baptismal vows that the congregation takes promising to be uh a place that's a church that's going to pray and help in this process of raising this child as a disciple of Christ, uh, and so it's seen from the very beginning as a communal uh, thing, a communal activity, a communal right, some might say, uh, and so yeah, the whole perspective is is vastly different uh, in that way that I think some Baptist brothers and sisters may not recognize or understand uh, initially. Um, this isn't to say that the best Baptist theologians don't get it. I think that they do. Yeah. Uh, but if we're talking to lay people yeah. about baptism, that may be something to bring up as well. Yeah, that I think we should just sort of land on this point for a little while and, and dwell on it, because I think this is one of the huge matters of confusion during conversations between uh, credo-baptist people and uh, pedo-baptist people. I, the the way that I would just summarize it is to say, in the in the Pado Baptist view, baptism is a genesis. It's a beginning, and yeah. um, and it's a beginning of a covenant relationship to God and to a church. And so, um, Christian education, uh, Sunday school, uh, weekly church attendance, home fa- family devotional time, that is all an outgrowth of this covenant yeah. uh, that God has made with a child. And so it's it's very much a beginning for uh, for you know the, the spiritual life in some ways mm-hmm. of the child, and so that's that, that is very different than the popular American understanding of baptism being a culmination or almost like an end point in a way mm-hmm. of where discipleship is leading to. And so um, imagining a conversation, um, we can we can imagine a person. Um, who is attends a, a typical mega church in America, where um, that that baptism is that high point, and yeah. that's that's really what you're maybe not just moving towards, but that's almost like the goal of Christianity. And once you've been baptized, then your job is to go get other people baptized mm-hmm. because that's that you want them to to get to that mountaintop too. And so that that person with that understanding of baptism of uh, this this really significant expression of my faith in Jesus will then look at a baby being baptized and think, uh, where, where is there to go for that baby? I mean, yeah. um, you're, you're sort of taking something away from a baby and, and with that paradigm and they're just, they've already had the quote unquote high point maybe yeah. of, of baptism. And so where, where is that going to go? Yeah. Um, you can see there where people would Pedo baptism is a really bad idea if they're approaching it from that perspective, and <laughs> yeah. so um, 
yeah, we, we would always just want to say this is about God initiating something and starting something in the life of a child hmm. that is um, nourished and watered and fed, and you can use whatever other <laughs> word pictures you yeah. could. Um, and that, that child is encouraged towards faith in Jesus, personal faith in Christ, um, and, and, and very seriously so. Uh, we don't believe in the Reformed tradition that at the moment of a child's baptism, they are born again in Christ. Yeah. Um, that is traditionally the Roman Catholic and the Lutheran view, which, which is called baptismal regeneration. Um, and so, so we don't believe that uh, that moment of baptism is stamping your ticket to heaven. Mm-hmm. Uh, we believe that there is a real spiritual blessing in it, so that it's not, it's not merely symbolic either. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I had a coworker. I think I maybe mentioned this on the podcast before. Of a guy who just lived a very sinful life, no interest in God, no interest in the church. Would you know? Swore a lot at work. I was a coworker of mine at a sporting goods store, and he said, "Look, I was baptized. I'm a Roman Catholic. I was baptized as a baby. I got my ticket to heaven. What difference does any of this make?" You know, and so that is often the credo baptist understanding of what all pedo baptism is and that is we reject that theology yeah. in um in the roman or sorry in the reformed church um again this isn't to say roman catholic people are not christians or lutherans aren't christians we, they this is to say we disagree of what's happening during baptism and we want to be careful to acknowledge that disagreement actually because that leads us in some wrong directions um, yeah. in our conversations with credo-baptists. Yeah, absolutely. And so we, we do need to steer clear of that view. Um, it's not just by the working of the work or ex opere operato yep. that one is saved. It makes me think of the uh, the Nacho Libre scene where <laughs> he yeah. dunks his friend in water thinking that that, he, even though he tricks him into doing it, he thinks, that well, that does it. That that works. Uh, no, that, that doesn't work. And so we, we do need to recognize that uh, but, but yeah, it's, it's interesting that the Reformed tradition walks this balance in many ways between uh, that view, the baptismal regeneration view, uh, but we also don't, so that would be too, too strong of, a, of an understanding of baptism, but also we, we don't want to have too light an understanding of baptism. Uh, Mark and I were talking actually just the other day, and I was telling him how having grown up in a Baptist church, Oddly enough, it was seen as merely a symbol, and so it was therefore seen as somewhat secondary or unimportant. And so actually, somehow, I made it through about 15 years of life at that church. I started going there as a five-year-old and was there up until, well, yeah, late high school. Uh, so maybe not 15 years, but close to it. I was never baptized. I was never even really seriously encouraged to be baptized Although I had given my life to the Lord, quote-unquote, several times, um, I had had many uh, sort of uh, pray-the-prayer moments, and for... Youth camps are a big part Youth camps, of yeah. um, Heaven's Gates, Hell's Flames, if anyone's ever heard of that, where I got my fire insurance, so to speak. Uh, but for all intents and purposes, as far as that church could tell, I would have been, yeah, fully a Christian, So, there w- but I was never really encouraged to get baptized and I always sort of was wondering in the back of my head is it real is it real is my conversion real so maybe I should just wait until I really know for sure whether it's real Mm. and so when I finally switched churches and then in college I realized I've still not been baptized 
so I got baptized as a 20-year-old, although I grew up my whole life in the church. From the moment I was born, I was in a church of one sort or another and never gotten baptized just because it was seen to be kind of insignificant, just a, an add-on, just something you did to, again, proclaim outwardly what has happened inwardly. And I'd actually been taking communion for years and years at that point. I'd been taking communion probably since 12 or 13 years old. So um, it was all just kind of a sort of a mishmash. And I Hmm. think it was because the view of the sacraments was so low that it was almost just seen as non-consequential, unimportant, purely symbolic, kind of meaningless then. And that's, I think you get that on the extreme of like the Salvation Army where uh, they they won't even do uh, the the sacraments. Um, that's sort of a denomination, kind of. It's mostly an organization, but uh, early in their in their sort of development, they stopped doing any sacraments because they just sort of see, saw them as unimportant and unnecessary. Wow. And thankfully, Baptists still baptize, and they still do communion or what they may call something else. The Lord's Supper, I guess, is a more ecumenical term, um, but. Those things are seen as kind of extraneous, uh, and the Reformed don't see it that way. The Reformed see these things, and I, I think I brought this up in that episode 12 conversation, but we see God active in these things. God mm-hmm. is the one who is doing something in the sacraments. So baptism is, first and foremost, a it's a marking of God. God is marking you. God is signing and sealing his promises to you. Uh, those need to be received. Those need to be uh, believed. Those promises, in order to be received, but God is doing something, uh, yeah. and it's not just an empty sign. So that is a, a major distinction of the Reformed view. Yeah, there's uh, there's even a lot to continue to unpack there, and uh, we um, we we do want to encourage people to be able to to talk about this or being willing to talk about it because um, there there is a lot of confusion and. I think what I what I hear Zach Tang saying too is, uh, on the Roman Catholic and Lutheran side, there is such a high view of the sacraments and baptism that, um, particularly uh, a lot of medieval Roman Catholic scholars would say it's required for salvation. Yeah. Um, and Bavink, when he's writing about this in Volume Four, of the Reform Dogmatics, is he says they have to sort of contort themselves into. Um, uh, different theological positions for example the uh, the man on the thief on the cross was not baptized but right. Jesus gave him uh the promise of everlasting life being in paradise with Jesus that day but yeah. he was not baptized and so um Bobbing says the 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 argument the counter argument there is he was somehow baptized in blood in yeah, some maybe way Jesus's blood hit right. him when he right and so he, he bled out he so he <laughs> I mean, that's starting to stretch things to fit a theological box, basically. Um, And so we do—I don't know that modern-day Roman Catholics would would feel the the need to stretch that exact scenario quite in the same way. But um, I I think that uh, certainly we would want to say one does not absolutely have to observe, participate in the sacraments in order to be saved. Yeah. Bavink very clearly teaches that in Volume Four of the Reformed Dogmatics. I mean, I, I believe he says that almost that exact sentence that sacraments are not necessary in the theological sense for salvation. But let's not go to the other extreme either and just say, oh, they're just um, 
you could take it or leave it. Uh, yeah. We might not feel like participating in communion on a given Sunday, and so yeah. let that tray pass you, or just sort of sit in your spot and and uh, do your own thing for that mm-hmm. week. Um, no, uh, ref- as Reformed people, we believe uh, the that the the children of believers ought to be baptized, just like what the Heidelberg Catechism says, mm-hmm. and um, we believe that. A, a Christian wanting to grow in faith and in personal holiness ought to receive the sacrament of communion because in both of those sacraments you you find a spiritual blessing. Um, and so God initiates his covenant in baptism and God renews his covenant in the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. And so... Hmm. Uh, That's a good way of putting I, it. I think it's helpful for people to to just know those categories. Um, yeah. Uh, my my parents joined uh, Missouri Synod Lutheran Church. I'm I'm glad they did. It's a <laughs> wonderful church in Indiana. And when they were um, going through their new member class, uh, he talked. He was contrasting the views of the sacraments and said, uh, "Well, there's the Roman Catholic view and the Lutheran view and the evangelical view." And he he actually put the Reformed view in the symbolic evangelical camp. Mm-hmm. And my dad called me the, later that day. And he's like, "Is that?" accurate do, do reform people just think of it as a symbol as uh, as merely remember a mere remembrance of the work of Christ and you know I obviously said no that's not accurate we're actually in between the um, uh, the the regeneration view which is mm-hmm. that baptism is doing a work um, regardless of the faith of the person yeah um, and that bapti- and on the other extreme that baptism is just uh, personal uh, yeah. sort of a subjective thing. I, yeah, I think the Reformed tradition um, in, in the mainstream of it is definitely between the Lutheran and the evangelical view, you could say. Hmm. Some some Reformed people have erred on the side of re- baptismal regeneration. Mm-hmm. They've gone so far as to even, I think, even use that language. Um, one might even be John Nevin, actually, um, a theologian I really enjoy and appreciate and respect from the 19th century. Uh, he I think he even uses that language at one point, a baptismal regeneration, but he tries to qualify it very, very much. And I honestly, if I'm if I'm being honest, I don't know exactly what he's trying to do, <laughs> and I don't quite get what he's getting at. Well, um, baptism is mysterious too. Let's recognize that. Yeah, yeah. It's hard to explain. Then there, there are passages that um, will be, I think, hard for even for us to explain. First Corinthians. Three or First Peter, excuse me, First Peter three yeah. twenty one, where Peter writes that baptism now saves you. What do you do with that? Um, there, there, there are, all, are those kinds of things that happen or in the Book of Acts. Uh, uh, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. It seems like baptism is uh, powerfully working out the, the the removal of your sins. So a, a Catholic would look at that, or a Lutheran would look mm-hmm. at that and would say things differently than us. Um, I think for the Reformed, there is a distinct connection between the sign and the thing signified, uh, but there's also a distinction uh, between them. Yeah. So there's there these two are connected. This is why we don't just say, oh, you're baptized spiritually, you don't need to be baptized outwardly. Uh, the two things are actually really important. Um, and in this way, the sacraments and uh, baptism, at least in our conversation here, it really works against a sort of Gnostic view of seeing uh, 
everything in matters of mere spirituality. I was spiritually baptized because I believe in Jesus' blood has washed me spiritually, so why do I need to be baptized outwardly? Uh, well, the Bible still assumes that an outward washing of baptism is what's going to take place. Uh, it's the ideal, and mm. so we should still do it. And I think that's because through bodily actions, we are able to uh, learn and be impacted, actually, spiritually. Uh, we are embodied souls and sold bodies, uh, and so uh, we are not Gnostic. And I think this, yep. the sacraments push against that uh, really, really strongly, uh, which maybe also be another point of distinction between us and a more evangelical, baptistic point of view. Yeah, um, Bobbing talks about it as um, just as uh, just as a, a, a wedding doesn't make someone love their spouse, but it, it, a, a wedding ring reminds them of, is a physical reminder of the yeah. love that a that, uh, husband and wife have for one another. Um, hmm. the, the sacraments help to provide that physical reminder of a, of a reality, yeah. um, of, of a spiritual reality. He uses that, that illustration. I think it's a really wise one. Um, and, hmm. and I, one thing that thinking about the popular understanding of baptism, particularly among evangelicals who would approach it as a more personal symbolic thing. Um, I guess I would want to caution people against being rebaptized. Uh, I know that that's something that yeah, sometimes good, people do. Um, good point. And uh, this could be a good forum to talk about that in um, because yeah, I've, we've, we've heard the stories of people who go to Israel. There's the Jordan River, and um, you've been baptized already. And uh, there's a whole bunch of people, you know, for the low price of twenty nine ninety nine, you can be baptized too in the Jordan River. Um, we think that maybe Jesus would have been baptized here, all that kind of stuff. Or if you switch and, churches and you go to a Baptist yeah. church. Yeah, and so sometimes it's for, for noble reasons, uh, more theological reasons. Other times it is more of a touristy baptism. Or yeah. I've heard of people who say... Um, yeah, I'm recommitting my life to Jesus. I'm going to be rebaptized, almost yeah. as like I'm starting I, I, over. I hope starting something fresh. really significant happens for me in this baptism. Yeah, and so again, that shows, I would say, actually a low view of of what is happening during baptism. And I would want to caution anybody against that and say, no, we believe that whether you felt different or not afterwards, that something real and significant and spiritual was mm-hmm. happening in your baptism, and so it ought not be repeated. And that's what we go back to the objectivity thing. Yeah, um, yeah. Because baptism, baptism is objective. Uh, that one baptism is all you need. God has already done what he's going to do in baptism, and so you don't need to get re-baptized. That doesn't make it stronger or make it take, finally. Yeah. Uh, it has already been done. God has already given you those promises and signed them and sealed them to you. And all you need to do is believe and remember your baptism, uh, which is interesting. Obviously, babies don't remember their baptism, but they can remember through the through the point of testimony from parents and from others that they were baptized. And so even before they chose God or wanted to follow God or Christ, uh, they remember that God has already done something to them. God has already uh, mm-hmm. engrafted them into his covenant community through, uh, through baptism. And they can see the fruit of that baptism because they're hearing yeah. the Bible and they're yeah. growing in their faith. And and so it, it's not just like, we, we did this thing to you that 
is just sort of abstract and happened a long time ago. Um, but in my own, the life of my own children, I want to be encouraging them. We can see that God is, isn't he faithful to all those promises that he made yeah. to you at your baptism? And you get to hear the Bible every day and, and yeah. you get to, and you're learning to pray. And I saw you being more patient than you used to be. That's the spirit of God working in, in your life and making you more patient and more compassionate. Mm-hmm. It's like, that's partly the role of, of, a, of a family and a church right. to point out the connection of spiritual progress is, um, is the result of, of course, God's spirit working in us. But I think as Reformed Christians, we can do better in saying spiritual hmm. growth and progress is, is partly the result of the baptism of a child, that, yeah. that God really did something in that, that child's life that is now being worked out for the mm-hmm. rest of their life. Um, one thing I loved about um, entering um, Anglican churches, and I know this is the case also in Catholic churches, is the large baptismal font as you walk into yeah. a cathedral that is full of water. And I think, um, I don't know if we have to do that in the Reformed context, but we could do certainly a better job at reminding people of their baptism, mm-hmm. um, which is, you walk in the church and that's the first thing you see. I know in the Durham Cathedral, there's a huge baptismal it's font. signifying that idea of baptism being the entrance yes. into the church. They put it at the entrance in order to remind you of that. And it's it's also cool how you see it as you leave as well. And so you're a baptized Christian. Yeah, go out into the world yeah. as a baptized Therefore Christian. Therefore go. <laughs> um, and uh, Make disciples and baptize them. Right. right. That's the Great Commission. So we could do a better job at that in the Reform context of reminding people of their baptism and of of looking for ways that that's being worked out. Yeah. Um, and uh, so maybe if we have fellow Reformed uh, ministers who are listening, a few have reached out to me in recent weeks, um, hmm. let us know your creative ways maybe of uh, connecting people's baptisms with what is happening in their lives today. Um, I know yeah. that I could certainly do a better job at that as a pastor. Yeah, that would be interesting. And um, so we hope that this has been helpful um, in thinking through just sort of the uh, worldview collision, I guess you could say, <laughs> of the Reformed uh, perspective and the sort of broadly evangelical perspective when it comes to baptism. Uh, and we'd love to hear feedback or mm-hmm. maybe some gripes if anybody has them. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm sure that there will be some things we've said that may have uh, sparked your your thoughts and so yeah we'd love to hear from you one way or the other Uh, otherwise we look forward to being with you again next week grace and peace to you all all right bye